You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Um, okay, so we're discussing and dissecting six topics during this study, all of which revolve around uh, encounter and specifically the world encountering us, the people of God. Uh, We are in the world, not of it. So being in the world and not of it, there should be an impact. Things that are foreign uh, always leave an impact. Things that did not originate in a place always leave an impact. Um, And so what does the world experience when it encounters us, the children of God? So uh, those that carry His presence, those that walk with the Spirit of God, We've been talking about, we're, we've got six topics that we'll go through. We're only on week two. Uh, the first one is God is good. The second is nothing impossible, which we'll be discussing tonight. The third is Jesus has won absolute victory. Fourth is you are significant. Fifth, fifth is there are mysteries yet to be discovered. And sixth, he is here. So we started last week with the first, God is good. Uh, and we discussed how this is an experiential statement. You can't say that something is good blindly. You, people do it all the time. They say this is good and this is bad. This is really one of the issues in our society today is people determine the good of things and the bad of things without experience things, experiencing those things, and it's just an impossible thing to do. You can't say that something is good or bad without encountering it uh, for yourself. So, That applies to God. You can't truly know that He's good until you encounter His goodness. Uh, Psalm 34, 8 that we discussed and read last week. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. These are both experiential senses. These are things that you have to sense and and experience for yourself. His goodness is to be experienced. It's designed to be experienced. It's not designed to be discussed and believed blindly. It's designed to be experienced. And this experience with His goodness starts for us at the moment of salvation. And rather, it's not, it's not the start of His goodness in our story. That does not begin at the moment of salvation, but it is the moment where we begin to recognize the goodness of God in our story is at the moment of salvation. Uh, we begin to see that. We begin to understand it and see it in our own lives. But our issue, and this is what we discussed last week, and the reason people don't encounter us and see that God is good is because we are quick to forget. We have this phrase, we've had this phrase of you can't give away what you don't have here in this house over many teachings, over many years. But last week we amended it to just recognizing the, the reality of it is that you can't give away what you have forgotten that you have. I can, I, of course I can't give away what I don't have, but the thing is, is has God withhold, withheld any good thing from me? No. So I have everything to give. But I can't give it if I forget that I possess it and I forget that it's mine to claim. So how does the world see the goodness of God when they see us? Well, we are quick to remember, never to forget His goodness that follows us all the days of our lives. And that's what we discussed last week. Being a people, and this is really going to be a continuing trend throughout the study of being a people that, is, that are quick to remember. And that is in all things, being quick to remember in hard times, in great times, in your day-to-day, being quick to remember all that God has done for you. Um, because it, 
It is a tendency in the Christian world, which is why so many people have left the Christian church. We are quick to forget. We are quick to anger. We are quick to speak. We are slow to listen. All of the things in contrast to what the Bible says, and that's really what people have an issue with, is we contradict everything that we preach. And you can't do that. And we can't reflect God rightly if we forget the God we're to reflect. So that's what we discussed last week. And today, what we'll be discussing, when the world encounters us, it should see that, one, God is good, as we discussed. But the second thing that it should see is that nothing is impossible. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. This belief of nothing being impossible, this is a belief rooted with great, great hope. It is rooted in great, great hope. You cannot believe that nothing is impossible without hope being present in that. Because to believe that nothing is impossible is to believe that the things that have yet to come are possible. And that is hope. Things that have yet to come, but I believe in their ability for them to happen and for the fruition of things promised to exist. A belief, this belief of nothing is impossible is a belief that cannot exist without hope. 1 Corinthians 13 3 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide in these three, but the greatest of these is love. The three things to abide in. Faith, hope, and love. And we really do a poor job of abiding in those three things. We are a people uh, with very little faith uh, because the second we come into a moment of great difficulty, there is not adequate faith present there. And really the root issue of that is because we've kicked the Holy Spirit out of the church and you cannot have an increase in faith if you don't have an increase of encounter. If you don't have encounters with God, you will not have faith. It is a gift of faith. Salvation is a gift of faith that no man may boast. It is not anything that we've earned. It came from a moment of encounter. So without continued encounter, you will not have faith present. So all the world sees is when we Christians get to a moment of difficulty, we have no faith in God and complete and total faith in ourselves, or, or we just don't have any faith at all and we just crumble and we complain and we mumble and groan. Uh, and we get frustrated and we act out and we do things again in contradiction to everything that we've said we believed and then they don't see any faith. They also don't see any hope. They don't see any hope when difficult situations arise. They don't see any hope uh, in the things that are promised to exist or promised to come from the Lord. We are quick to forget the promises of God even in the difficult moments. It's very easy to reflect and look at the difficult moments, the dark spots in our lives, and totally forget the promises of God. But if we do that, the world does not see a hopeful people. It sees a hopeless people. And no one wants to be a part of a hopeless people. If, if you've ever been around somebody that is completely hopeless, and I'm not talking about, oh, they're just, they can't be helped. I'm talking about a person that just is a cynic, always. It will always go bad. It will always be difficult. Those are very difficult people to be around. And unfortunately, a majority of the church are those people. Because we immediately turn to hopelessness instead of being a people of hope. And then the next thing is love, obviously. And there is no judgment in love. There is no hate in love. There is no uh, division in love. But we are the ones that have instructed the world around us on how to divide. We are amongst the most divided people in the world. 
I mean, you have, of every religious group, you have different levels of commitment, but you do not have division amongst those religious groups like you do in the Christian, Western Christian world. We have so many different denominations because somebody interpreted Scripture in a different way and refused to worship with someone that disagreed with them, so they opened a new building. Why would they want to be a part of a people that preach love that do not believe or live a life full of love? Christians, for every Christian married, 50% of those end in divorce. And guess what the real world statistic is? 50%. I think it's so funny when Christians start taking a stance on like gay marriage and things like that. Like, oh, they're ruining a holy thing. Like, no, you ruined a holy thing. You refused God in a place that only God can exist. God, you cannot be married without God. It does not work. But then they'll stand on that platform. We all know those people that are like, gays should have no right to marry. Like, man, <laughs> that ain't it. That's not the stance to take. But we can't even love one another well. So how are we going to love strangers well? We don't love each other. And we believe in the same things. And we don't love each other. So we have not been very good at those three things. Faith and hope aren't even the most important of the three. But they are of this three. These are things to abide in is what 1 Corinthians, what Paul is saying. Abide in these things. And that means to always remain. Always have faith. Always be hopeful. Always Show and allow to flow out of you love. And the greatest is always make sure that at least love flows out of you. But if hope lives in us, those around us can see that nothing is impossible. And this is so important in the world that we live in today. So important because so many believe it is impossible for God to forgive them or to make them whole again. They have absolutely no hope. I don't know how many conversations with people and maybe some of you in here have felt the same way. I know I have in moments in my life of God cannot fix this. God cannot redeem this. Jesus did not die for this. He died for these lesser things. He didn't die for this one big thing that I did. And it's ridiculous, but so many people believe that because they've only known a God of judgment. Because they are meant to see God in us as we reflect Him. And unfortunately, what they are left with when they encounter Christians is a God of judgment and a God of fire and a God of unforgiveness without mercy and without grace. And that's what they're left with. But what they're supposed to be left with is this reality that nothing is impossible and that this Christ that I cannot comprehend died for me and His sins or his, his blood covered my sin. He became sin who knew no sin. And that, that is not possible, but it happened. I can't comprehend how, how it's possible, but it existed. And that's what they're to be left with when they leave us. But unfortunately, they have no hope for their story. But this is the, the powerful revelation for me in, in studying this. is They don't have hope for their story, but they don't need to. They don't need to have hope for their story. Because we, those who are quick to remember, will have hope for their story. And if they encounter us, a people that, strangers that are hopeful for their life, 
they will be left with hope. It's not their job to hope. It's not their job. It's not that, how could I expect, that would be like me expecting Liam to drive the truck home. It's not his job. He has no capability or capacity to do that or understand how that works. Can't do it. Not even tall enough to reach the pedals. It's not, it's not possible. So I don't expect them to have hope. Hope is a thing that originates in Christ. It originates in the Lord and in the presence of God and in knowing that He's good and in knowing that He's faithful to His promises to me. How could they have that if they've not ever encountered Him? But the thing is, is when they encounter us, they begin to encounter Him and then hope begins to exist in their story. But I have no expectation for them to hope for redemption because I know and I have hope for their story because of the truth that we are quick to remember. Jeremiah 29, 11, these are just truths that we should be quick to remember. They're so typical and they're, they're common scriptures. We use them in, in everything. I mean, golly, every basic wedding that you go to where they're, Christians, but they didn't really grow up in church. They're just Christians. There's all, somebody always reads Jeremiah 29.11. It wears me out. Because we've read it so much that we forget what it means. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare, well-being, and not for evil. To give you a hope and a future. The desire of his heart is for welfare, for hope and a future in our story. His, his desire, his hope for us is not one a, a story or a life of dismay and turmoil and strife and struggle. That is not what he desires for us. He desires for a, a wonderful life, a beautiful life, a life with a future, a life with hope. Does that mean that we're absent persecution or, or we, we can completely avoid uh, difficulties and struggles and and, and heartbreak, absolutely not. But the Lord has not ever written a story designed and destined for destruction and evil. That is not what He wants. He does not want you to have a life that is destined for evil. That is not in His design for you. And that should bring us hope. That His desire, the desire of His heart for me is to give me a hope and a future. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not die but have eternal life. And the forgiveness of sins. And the thing that we need to realize and the thing that we need to be quick to remember is that there is not a sin on this earth, believer or not believer, that has not been forgiven and washed by the blood of Jesus. The difference is those who receive it and those who don't. That's the difference in salvation. Those that receive the blood for themselves and those that don't. But there is not a sin on God's earth that will be committed or has been committed that has not already been forgiven. It is forgiven. And so many people don't realize that. Because this is one of those scriptures that's been so recited in church. And no one's ever broken it down because it's one of those that you just read over quickly. Because you've heard it since you were in preschool. But when you look at the reality of it, that He loved the world, that He sent His Son. Not that He loved a select few, not that He loved the disciples, not that He loved the Israelites. For God so loved His creation that He would send His only Son, the only one suitable to sacrifice, the only one with the blood that could cover the sins of the many and wash them white as snow. That when God looks at us, He sees His Son and He sees the blood shed for us. He doesn't see our mistakes. He sees His Son. P. 
people don't know that, and so they don't have hope. But this is a common scripture. This is something that we should know regularly and be able to look at the world around us with hope because we know that there's not a person here that has not been forgiven. And I wonder what that would be like to encounter someone that knows that you, you have, everything you've ever done has already been forgiven. Because if we recognize that and we stand in that, then who are we to hold anything against anyone else? Because I didn't earn the forgiveness either. So who am I to hold any resentment or ill will towards anybody else because they've done me wrong? He doesn't. And he died for it. And he died for those mistakes that they would make towards me. Those hurts that they would bring at me. Those arrows that they would fire at my back when I was turned. He died to forgive them for those actions. So who am I to hold those actions against them? When the one that also forgave me has also forgiven them. I wonder what that would be like to encounter people that truly interacted with one another like that. You can't hurt me. Everything you've done has already been forgiven. And everything that you will do has already been forgiven. And it will not affect me. Because I too am forgiven. It it creates uh, a, a people that's really, I don't know any better way to put it than this. It creates a bulletproof people. And that's really what we need is a people that are bulletproof. That the actions of man and that the day-to-day circumstances that we see in our world have no effect on us. Because our gaze is firmly fixed on the God above and on His business and on what He's doing here that it doesn't matter what you do or how you come at me. I will hold nothing against you. And the way I see you will only ever be the way God sees you. And that's someone worth dying for. So I won't move from that place. It's like, it's like the bully in school seeing that what he's saying isn't hurting your feelings. It just kind of takes their breath away. But what it does is it opens the door for life. And that's what we're meant to do is open the door for life. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through, 7, or through 20. This is one that we've read many, many times. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God making his appeal through us that what was thought impossible has been done and is, in fact, possible for God, and we get to live in the victory of it. To see all of this in us, that there is a hope for their story, and that hope being the authority to take hold of what is already been given. And so that's the reality of hope is the reality of hope is again, I've explained it before, but hope is I, I need a chair. I'm praying for a chair. I'm hoping for a chair. Hope is this string, this rope in my hand that is attached to that chair that I need. I have authority over it. I have it. It is already mine. Wouldn't you say that that chair is already mine? I already have something that has possession over it. It is mine. It's just not here yet. But it's mine. That's hope. It's taking authority of what has been given. Even though it hasn't arrived yet, that doesn't mean it hasn't been given and it has not been given to you. That's hope. 
And we get to establish that in people. We get to show them that. And we get to have that over them. I wonder what it would look like again. So much of this process has just been, I wonder what it will look like when a people look like this. Um, So I wonder what it will look like when there are a group of people that take hope over the people around them. What does that look like? When we have hope and we have this authority that they will know God, who they were made for. They will find freedom. They will find life. And I will accept nothing less. That is hope. Hope is not this meek little thing that, oh, I hope this works out. That is not hope. Hope is power. When have you ever known God to be like, oh, this little fairy princess, I hope things work out because I really have no power over it. That's not God. And that's not his people. So hope is not this meek little small thing. Hope is power. Hope is authority. And I hope that you meet with Jesus. My hope is that you meet with Jesus. Here and now. You encounter the presence of God. In and through me. That you would encounter all that you were made for. That's hope. And that's the hope that we get to offer those around us. And they will be left. When they encounter that hope. They will be left with this, re- this reality of not only is God good. But that nothing is impossible. My messed up circumstances, my messed up life, the things I've done wrong for years and years and years, or uh, the relationships that are broken or different things like that, nothing is impossible and nothing is outside of what God can restore. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of hope that what was once destroyed would be reconciled back to God, restored, reconstructed, redeemed back to what it was created to be. It's the ministry of reconciliation. It's anthem and its fuel is hope. A message that the world desperately needs to see in us is that nothing is impossible. And it is as simple as us being quick to remember that nothing is impossible. Because there have been plenty of instances in my own life where I thought the impossible was just impossible until I found myself standing on the shore of it being possible. And seeing things happen, then I thought, there's no way. And then they happen. And there's so many of those things. uh, So many of those things that we can look at, that we can study, that you can go through and just be blown away. Blown away by your own life. the the, the, The mist, the speck that you are in eternity. There's so much that has been impossible that has been made possible by God in our own stories. And if we're quick to remember these things, if we're quick to remember these things, then the world around us will encounter that in us. But we can't give hope if we forget hope ourselves. We must be a people that take hold of hope in the full authority and power that it carries and that it is and that it is designed to be and be those that walk around with hope, uh, faith, Hope and love, never ceasing, always continuing in that. When people encounter a people that abide in those three things, I believe they will always leave changed. They will always leave impacted because, again, all things are made for him and through him. And so when you encounter him, which you were made for, I do not believe that there is any way that you can leave unaffected. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.